May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. It was the American philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson who used to greet his friends that he hadn't seen for a while with this question. What has become clear to you since last we met? And that question came to mind as I was preparing my remarks for today for those of you from the congregation that I've not been in worship with for nearly a year and a half. And for those of you whom I've just, uh, I'm just meeting today or are visiting, you might reframe the question and ask yourself, what has become clear to you, say, since this time last year? What are you learning? What have you, what insights have you gained? How have you grown spiritually as individuals and as a community of faith? How are you experiencing the grace of God or the longing for God? Thinking of the wise ones trekking across their world in search of a child born to be king, I wonder what you are searching for now. I've just returned from time over the holidays with our extended family and a close circle of friends. And because we all live far from each other, such gatherings are rare, and thus all the more potent for reflection on what is changing in our lives and also over time what remains the same. This, this past time, I was acutely aware of the passage of time and of my changing place in the life cycle of our family and friends. Um, our parents' generation is growing frail. Some have crossed that mysterious border from death into greater life. My husband and I are anticipating the birth of our first grandchild. All around us, there is this rising cadre of younger adults, including our children, who are finding their way in the world with their sights increasingly set on things that I cannot see. And several of our family and friends quite suddenly are facing the hardest news of life, physical illness, mental illness, and even the untimely death of a child. And so some of the things that are becoming clear to me, that have become clear since last I was here, is that time itself is a mystery. That the aging process is humbling. And in the words of St. Joan Chittister, life is short, and we don't have time to waste time. Some things are significant in life, and some things are not. And we all have to ask ourselves, what time is it in our lives? We have to begin to consider the eternal weight of what we are spending our life doing. I've also been learning a lot about the patterns that shape our lives and how once those patterns are established, how they set us on a course that gets increasingly difficult to change. 
And there's a paradox about this because we're the ones to establish many of the patterns and the habits that give shape to our lives. But once they're in place, they're like the solar system. And they have a gravitational force field that is increasing, is very difficult to resist. Um, there's been a lot of studies of late, like if you, like me, have a smartphone. Um, and there are studies that, that, that reveal a hum, humbling number of times that in the last eight to 10 years or so, we've become accustomed to checking our phones in the course of a day. The numbers are staggering, 40 times a day, 80 times a day, sometimes more than 100. It's often the first thing those of us with phones look at when we wake up in the morning. It's the last thing we look at when we go to bed. How did that pattern get established in my life and in yours, if you're carrying one as I am? And is that a pattern that I'm comfortable with? Um, as I began exploring my own uh, rule of life a while back, I decided, you know, the phone isn't the first thing I want to look at when I wake up in the morning. I think, I think I should set my sights on Jesus and check the phone later. <laughs> now, habits and patterns then manifest themselves as trends. And once a trend gets going, which is really just a direction, that our, a direction in which our lives are headed, once a trend gets established and picks up some momentum, it takes a much higher level of effort and intention to slow the trend down or to reverse it. Now, if the trend is one that pleases us, that's fine. If it's a healthy trend, a healthy sense of momentum, the question is simply, how do we keep that healthy, positive momentum going? But should it be a trend that concerns us, it's crucial to recognize that simply wanting it to change, or hoping that it will change, or even working at its change without sufficient energy and intention won't be enough to slow or reverse it. And of course, there are some trends that we can't reverse, such as the aging process, the course of a disease with no cure, the power of two people falling in love. And then the choice simply becomes, how will we live as the trend, like a powerful tide, carries us along? All this to say that it's a good idea from time to time to take stock, isn't it, of our patterns and our habits, which is the impulse, of course, behind New Year's resolutions. And in the life of faith, this kind of examination is simply critical if we hope to grow spiritually. And it often results, once we've done our examination, in the adoption of some intentional practice on our part that helps orient us again toward Christ and his and opening ourselves to his guiding presence. This is using that power of pattern and habit to good end. These are the behaviors we can decide in advance to practice, regardless of how we might feel on a given day, so that we, um, we can, by habit, grow more like Christ. To quote now our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, if we 
want to live and to love like Jesus, we need spiritual practices that guide us along in his way of love. We're not always going to feel like it. So we need to choose in advance how we will set the patterns of our life. Well, today, as uh, most of you are aware, in the Christian calendar, this is both the last day of the Christmas season and the first in a graceful season, the season of Epiphany, which um, takes its spiritual meaning from the word itself, epiphany, meaning manifestation or to make visible. It can also mean revelation, such as an insight or something that was hidden becoming known or clear to us, either suddenly or over time. Within the church, the season of epiphany celebrates the manifestation, the many manifestations of Christ in our lives, who he is in his essence, and who he is for us. Of late, I've been thinking of these epiphanies of Christ and other moments of insight and revelation that come to us. I've been thinking of them as interruptions, holy interruptions that invite us to catch a breath, take stock, and sometimes choose a new path of grace first came across this phrase, holy interruption, in the writings of a man whose name is Tony Morgan. He's an author of a book entitled The Unstuck Church and leader of a consulting organization known as the Unstuck Church Group. Last, last spring, I invited Tony to come and address the clergy of our diocese and his premise in church language is simply this, that churches, like people, have a natural life cycle. And in a church's life cycle, habits and patterns that may have once served the church well over the course of a church's life will eventually, if unchecked or unexamined, will eventually cause the church, to use his word, get stuck. Because health in churches as in individuals requires constant adaptation and change. Thus, with stuckness, eventually comes decline. And if decline is not in, somehow, in some way interrupted, it, in it itself becomes a trend, increasingly difficult to reverse. All of this is a very sobering line of reasoning, but Tony Morgan is a man of faith. He's a follower of Jesus. And he believes, as I do, that God has both the power and the desire to break into our lives, into our world, into our church communities with, with new possibilities, with holy interruptions. It's not of our doing. It's the grace of God coming to us in tangible ways that can change us, change our perspective, our understanding, and guide us onto a path of greater life. These kinds of holy interruptions are everywhere. Um, in the scripture readings for today, we're given two examples of how we might experience a holy interruption. If you have your bulletin handy, I invite you to turn that back to the second reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. 
because we have a clue in this reading of how, how, how his life was wholly interrupted. It, um, he alludes to it in the second paragraph when he writes, of this gospel I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace, grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ. The gift of God's grace that he's referring to, friends, is the time when Christ appeared to him while he was traveling on the road to Damascus with the intent of arresting Christians and bringing them back to Jerusalem for persecution. When Christ appeared to him in a manifestation so powerful that it knocked him to the ground and blinded him for three days. This was a holy interruption of enormous consequence for him and for the world. It transformed him from one who persecuted Christians and at times delighted in their death to the single greatest missionary of Jesus' love for all time. It was a grace, as he said, that he did not deserve, and he knew it. But it came to him anyway. And because it came to him as this overwhelming gift, he, the least worthy, he had no doubt, no doubt at all, that all were worthy in God's eyes, that Christ's coming was for all people. And he dedicated his life to that mission of which we are heirs. Holy interruption can be like that, a dramatic grace that changes us and sets us on a new path. It generally doesn't feel like a gift at first, for the disruption is akin to a lightning bolt. It can feel like hitting bottom. It can come to us through the worst of possible news. It can come through what we dread most. In fact, I'm not actually sure if our most dramatic interruptions are in fact of God or if God uses those interruptions that are of our own making for graceful purposes. I, I am, that is beyond my knowing. But what I do know is what makes an interruption like that holy is the sense of Christ with us, guiding us, assuring us that we're not alone, and helping us find a new path. And often people will speak of those dramatic interruptions, even if it is one they would never choose again. They speak of them. Perhaps you have done this, I know I have, with, with gratitude, not necessarily for the event itself, but for the ways that our, my life, other people's lives were transformed by them or how through them we knew that Christ's love for us was real. Another way we can experience a holy interruption is a bit gentler, thank goodness, a bit more gradual, 
It's more like a nudge or an invitation, a star in our metaphorical sky calling us out on a journey. Not as much drama with this interruption in the beginning, but nonetheless can have dramatic results over time. For like the wise one of old, following the star of Jesus, we feel summoned somehow, called on a journey of unknown destination. It may be hardly noticeable to others at first that we've been beckoned in this way and that we have responded by taking one step and then another and then another until we realize that we're on a journey from which there is no turning back. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is from the Gospel of John. It's about a time when later in Jesus' ministry, late in his ministry, uh, his popularity among the multitudes plummeted. He was beginning to say very difficult things, and people, as the text said, began to fall away from him. And um, he's with his closest circle of followers now, presumably the 12, and he asks them, what about you? Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter, speaking for the rest, says to him, Lord, where would we go? Where would we go? We believe that you have the words of eternal life. He had forever interrupted their lives, one step at a time. And they knew in that moment, no matter what, there was no turning back. So I leave you, friends, on the threshold of Epiphany, which, by the way, this is the season not to miss church, because every Sunday for the next eight weeks, there will be story after glorious story of these kinds of holy interruptions that invite us to consider how Christ is present in our lives. I simply leave you with the urging and the invitation to pay attention to them. Dramatic, subtle, through the voice of a stranger, through the dream that you woke up from last night, however you feel that interruption coming to you, that you simply pay attention. Ask yourself, does it feel holy? Does it feel of God? And then in your own way, to take that step, and then the next, and the next, following the star, walking the path, that Jesus has set before you. I'd like to offer a prayer, if I might. Gracious and loving God, I hold before you this gathering of your beloved, and I give you thanks for each one, and I pray your mercies upon them and upon this parish community, seeking to walk faithfully in your light and your love. When your interruptions come to us, gracious one, help us to notice. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to follow, so that we may know you more closely, speak of you more confidently, and follow you and the star leading us where you would have us go. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.